are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Hey, good morning. Man, it's good to see you here today. I wanted to introduce you to a, a couple this morning. You know that Jake um, Garrett, his wife is Courtney, has been working as our university pastor. And Jake has felt this burden in his heart, this calling to expand his work to be with more than just university students. And so what Jake is saying is that I would, I would love Pastor Rick to be able to work with all young adults. So he's thinking from 18 years old to like 30 years old. And he said, in order to do that, um, I'm wondering if we might get some help with university ministry to help me and assist with that. And so Tim and Emma Riggs are graduates of Southern Nazarene University. They've lived here in Oklahoma City for some time. And Tim is wanting to focus more on his master's degree and is back here now in Oklahoma City and going to be doing that. But also, really good news, um, going to be serving with Jake in university ministry. So you want to make these guys feel really, really welcome. So get to know them, reach out, uh, have them over for dinner, you know, invest in their lives. They're going to be a part of us and we're just really, really glad you're here. Okay, take care. God bless. Okay. You wanted to clap again, didn't you? Go ahead. It's okay. You know, um, I'm going to throw a word at you and you just kind of toss it back, okay? You ready? Full participation here. Atonement. Uh, That was not full participation, but let's try again. Atonement. So the word is a word that you find in the Bible. It's a good theological word. It's a word that you hear around Christian circles. But if somebody asks you, tell me what it is that you believe personally about the atonement, how would you respond? And, and I think we're in a good series because I think there might be somebody looking at me right now saying, hey, Rick, what if, what if, what if I don't know what it is that I believe about the atonement? I mean, I know I'm a follower of Jesus. I know I go to church every week, but I don't know really if I know what I believe. And so here's what I hope happens today is that you gain some information, but you also leave with this desire to know more about what you believe and why you believe it. Okay? So let me start with a story. I was driving down the road one day when I was living in Cincinnati, and I came up to this yielding right turn, okay? And there was a lady in a car in front of me. She looks over her shoulder, and she starts to go. When she starts to go, I look over my shoulder, and I don't see anything, and so I start to go. I don't look back in time enough and I hit her in her bumper because what I didn't know was she had stopped. Here's a question. So in that accident, who was at fault? I didn't hear you. Oh, can you be a little nicer than the way you deliver that? Yeah, you're right. I'm at fault because I'm the guy I don't control. I I hit her in the back. So we get out of the car and I say to her, hey, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I thought you were gone. I apologize. And she goes, oh, it's okay. That's why they call them accidents. Do you want to exchange information? She said, I don't think we need to call the police. And I said, sure. And then I said to her, you know, this isn't going to cost a lot. It's just some scratches on your bumper. How would you feel about getting an estimate, mailing it to me, and I will mail you a check? 
She said, that is no problem. I'm glad to do that. And so here's what happens. A week later, I get an estimate in the mail. It's a few hundred dollars. I write a check and I send it to her. And I never heard from her again. And the reason I never heard from her again is because the wrong I had done by sending the check I had satisfied or made amends for. If you look up the word atonement in a dictionary, in an English dictionary, here's what it says. To satisfy or make amends for a wrong. It was my fault. I hit the lady in the car. I messed up her bumper. I caused it. So what I did by sending the check was I made atonement for what I had done wrong. Now let's think about it from a theological view, okay? The word atonement. Let's think about it from God's view. Go back to the same story. What if when I gotten out of the car, the lady said to me, you hit my car. And I said, I'm really sorry. And she goes, you've scratched up my bumper. And I said, I know, I feel really bad. And what if she said, this is going to cost a few hundred dollars. And I said, I know, I'll pay for it. But what if the lady said to me, I'll tell you what, let's do. I don't want you to have one of those days that all day long you think, oh, this morning I had an accident, it's going to cost me money, all of that. Why don't I just pay for it? Why don't I cover it? I would have said, that lady must be nuts. Last week we talked about sin. I've sinned. You've sinned. The Bible says everybody has sinned. We've offended God. We have wronged God. We have caused harm. And God says, what if I just come to earth? And what if I just push up my sleeves and I get involved in the mess of humanity, sin? And what if I just cover it for you? See, now that's atonement. And, and in that word, there are these two things happening at once. There is, this, there is this idea of my sins being forgiven. In the atonement, my sins have been forgiven. But there is also this other conversation that says, also in the atonement, my relationship with God has been restored. So what if I would have said to the lady, hey, you shouldn't have stopped after you started. I don't want to pay for your car. What if I'd have gotten in my car and I would have tried to back out of there and speed off? And what if she'd have gotten my license plate number? And there's this division in our relationship. You see what I'm saying? No, atonement was made. No division. She's not mad at me. I'm not mad at her. We're good. We would speak if we saw each other. And that's what happens when God has made atonement for our sins. So in your worship folder, do you mind taking that out and going to the back where there's sermon notes? And we're going to read that together in just a moment. But you see the word atonement there? And if you draw a line between the letter T, okay, after the letter T, and if you draw another one after the letter E, you have three syllables. And here's what those three syllables are. At one month. And that's really what the word means. It means this relationship that was damaged between me and God because of my sin, now we are okay. We are at one. We are unified. We are at peace. God sends Jesus who suffers and dies on a cross. He comes himself in the form of Jesus. And he makes atonement for the whole human race. So let's read 
that article of faith. This is the official stance of our church on the doctrine of atonement. You ready? We'll put the words on the screen as well, and it's in front of you, so let's read it in unison. Here's what we believe. We believe that Jesus Christ, by His sufferings, by the shedding of His own blood, and by His death on the cross, made a full atonement for all human sin, and that this atonement is the only ground of salvation, and that it is sufficient for every individual of Adam's race. So that's what we believe. Now, I think a legitimate question is, why do we believe that? So grab a Bible and let's go to the book of Romans, okay? The book of Romans chapter 5, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 6. We'll read two small paragraphs, okay? Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. Two things he's trying to say. When Jesus died on the cross, we see the depth of God's love. And we also see that if He would do something that amazing for us, that He is going to save us in the end. So here's what He says. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, He's talking about you and me. When we were sinners... When we didn't love God, when we were doing our own thing, when we really didn't care that much about God, that's when He died for us. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. That may be translated a person you respect, but though, you know, for a good person, for someone you love deeply, like a son or a daughter or a family member or a wife, maybe someone might possibly dare die for them. So this week in getting ready to preach, I went online and I read lots of stories about people who died for other people. That's amazing. And then there's these people who do it for a living. Like every day they get up and they go to work knowing that they might die trying to protect us. Or like people who run into burning buildings. Who does that to save somebody else's life? But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the idea is, do you understand how much God loves you? Okay. Then He moves to this. So if He loves you enough to do that, then in the end, you're going to be saved. Okay. So since we have been justified by His blood, we're going to read this phrase another time. How much more? Okay. That's what He does. How much more? Think about it. Since we have been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, there it is again, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Now the last line I love because it says, it's not about how good I am, it's about how good He is. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So a lady in my church said to me, I have a friend who doesn't go to church and he doesn't have a pastor, but he just received a death sentence from his doctor. He's dying. He just found it out. And he needs to talk to somebody. Would you go see him? And so I get in my car and I drive 30 minutes away from my church and I go out to see this guy. So I go into this humble home and I go back into his bedroom. 
with a couple of family members. That's where he is. That's where he's going to die. And I said to him, my name's Rick. I'm a pastor. In fact, I'm so-and-so's pastor, and she asked me if I would come and see you. And I told her I would be glad to. I wondered if you would like for me to pray with you today. So here's what the guy says to me, okay? Never met him in my life. The whole time I'm talking to him, he's just studying my eyes. Here's his response. I can't die in the shape I'm in. I'm sorry? I can't die like this. And what he was trying to say was, I cannot stand before God in the condition that my soul is in. I, I'm not saved. I, I've got sin stuff in my life. It hasn't been dealt with. I can't, I can't risk this one. It's too big. I can't die like this. And so I said, well... I want to talk to you. And I got to share the gospel with him. And I prayed with him. See, see, I think that we have had a shift in culture. And we don't think about dying very much anymore. And we don't like worry about dying. We think more about living and what the quality of my life is going to be like now. However, I think in the back of all of our minds, we understand that one day I'm going to leave this world. And when I do... I realize that this world is not the end. It's not like when you die, you're just dead and that's it. There's like a life beyond this. And I know that I'm going to stand before, you know, God one day. And there's this idea called judgment. And so I think in the back of all of our minds, we know that that that's coming. You can't avoid that. And so when I stand up and talk to you about the atonement this morning and the fact that Jesus died on a cross to make us right in our relationship with God and to forgive us of our sins, the reason I think it's so important is because in the back of our minds we all know. And the reason it's so important for Paul to talk about it in the book of Romans is because in chapter 2 he brings up the subject of judgment. And here's what he says. He says, you know what? God's kindness is all about hoping you would repent because that's the message of the Bible. You repent of your sin. So like, you know, you're going, we've talked before about you're going in this direction. I'm living a life of sin. And God says, you know, you got to stop right there and you've got to turn around and you got to go the other direction. That's what repentance means. I'm stopping. So when Jesus shows up and he starts preaching, he preaches the same message. Repent, Jesus says, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. In fact, Jesus would talk to people and he would look them right in the eye and he would say, you got to stop sinning. I mean, there was this lady Jesus was talking to once and he says, now leave here, but also leave your life of sin. I mean, Jesus expected people to quit sinning. But Paul says, because you have unrepentant hearts, you're going to stand before God one day in judgment. And you're going to give an account for what you've done on this earth. Now, those are really strong words, right? And he says, God is either going to reward you with eternal life or you're going to face God's wrath. I mean, those words are so strong to me. But he just kind of keeps on this conversation and he says, and here's the deal, okay? God is going to judge every person's 
secrets. What do you mean by secrets? My wife doesn't even know. I mean, my husband has no idea. Hey, Pastor Rick, my parents would be devastated if they knew. I mean, this is just, it's just secret. And Paul says, everybody's secrets gets exposed in front of God. And then he uses one more word, and it's a hard word too, impartial. Doesn't matter what your status is, doesn't matter who you know, doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter how long you went to what church, anything like that. When you stand before God, it's like every one of us stand there just laid bare, open, okay? Before God. But, he says, here's some really good news. And it's why he comes to where he does in chapter 5. Those of you who have not depended on your own good works or the law to get you righteous, because the law can't make you righteous, all the law does is tells you what sin is. You, you know what it's like in your life where you say, I read the Bible and I realize, okay, that's sin. That's, that's what the law is good for, he says. But only faith makes you righteous. And those of you who come to faith in Jesus, in the end, really good news, you're going to be saved. Now, let me, let me just kind of think with you a minute, okay? I have a little granddaughter, and her, uh, her name is Sadie, okay? And, um, and my daughter, Brittany, says to Sadie, Sadie, when does mommy love you? And Sadie says, every day. Okay, give me some oohs or ahs or something, would you? Thank you very much. Now make eye contact with me. When does God love you? That's the right answer. Do you believe it? Because when I sit in my office and I talk to people, you know what their answer is? When I'm good. When does God love you? Uh, when I'm doing pretty good? Well, that's the wrong answer. Because Paul says, when you were still a sinner, when you were powerless, when you weren't good, when you weren't good at all, when you were bad, when you didn't even give a rip about what God thought, that's when He died for you. He loves you every day. See, I wish there was some way that you could understand that, that what we see in Jesus on the cross embodies God. The incarnation where God says, okay, that's it. I'm leaving heaven. I'm coming to earth in the form of a man and I'm, I'm going to take care of this myself, okay? It's not like he said, I'm just going to send somebody to help you out. No, I'm coming myself. And I think somewhere in our heads we get this idea that God is ticked off and He's saying, I'm going to get a pound of flesh out of somebody. Somebody's going to pay. No, no, no. When He comes to the earth in the form of a man, Jesus, what He's really doing is saying, this is who I am. So I'm, oh man, if I could just, I struggle with words so bad. Listen to me. God 
loves you. God is nuts about you. You are the object of God's love. You are the object of God's affection. God is crazy about you. You are loved by God. Not because it's what God does. It's because that's who He is. I'm telling you, look yourself in the mirror tomorrow and say it 20 times. God is nuts about me. God is for you. You are the object of God's love. And he demonstrates it by sending his son, coming in reality himself, and giving his life on the cross for you. So um, I think we're hitting a low moment, so we're going to raise up the attention a little bit. I'm going to ask every child in the room to stand up really quick and come running up here. Normally don't run in church, but today run in church, okay? Come running up. Help me. This is Family Worship Sunday, one of my favorite Sundays that we have all month because we get all the kids in the room. So come on up and just pop down right there wherever you want to sit. Hey, guys, look at you. Come running. Come running. You're not really running right there. You're kind of walking. You got to run. Okay, here we go. Come up. Gather around. Just as close as you want to get. Kind of turn though where you can see me. I know the steps make it hard, but if you don't mind, turn around and face me, okay? So one of the reasons, man, a lot of you coming. They're still coming. One of the reasons that I wanted you guys to come up here is because I think today the sermon is a little bit heavy and I think it could get a little bit boring if you're a child. So anybody in the room say, okay, it's been a little bit boring. Yeah. Anybody? Just put your hands back down. Everybody sees, okay? Um, So I wanted you to kind of hear this story. So this is a vase, okay? And it, as you can tell, is broken, Because it's supposed to look like this part right here is supposed to sit on here like this. And here's the deal. We are not leaving this morning until we find out who broke it. You. (laughs) I will second that. You will? Everybody's with these guys? Do you think I broke it? Well, you are right. I broke it. Okay? And what happened was it was sitting on our nightstand. And I don't know if I hit the nightstand or hit the deal, but... It's broken. So here, here we go. You, but if it wasn't broken, you know what it would be really good for? My point exactly. Why do we set these things around? Just for people like me to break them, I think. But anyway, who's going to pay for it? Because I broke it. So do you know who this is? See the lady sitting right there waving it. That's my wife. And, and it's hers. And I broke her deal. So when I went to Annette and said, Annette, I think this is important. I'm really sorry, but that deal on the nightstand, I just broke it. You know what she says to me? It's okay. Very good. I'll take care of it. Is that awesome or what? She said, I'll I'll take care of it. Now, Now listen to me. When we know that something is right and something is wrong, and we do what's wrong... Something breaks. And you know what breaks? It, it's like our relationship with Jesus. You guys, are, you guys are incredible. And you know what Jesus says? When you say you're sorry, you know what I can do? I'll just put that relationship back together. Awesome, huh? So this is the point we're making today. This is what we call... Atonement, it's when God comes to us and fixes what has been broken. You with me? So you can stand up, run back to your seats, 
And everybody here is going to give you a big hand for coming up and helping me make that point. Okay, we'll do it. I was just given some uh, information and she said, I think you can probably glue it. So thank you so much. We'll see if we can pull that off. Okay, next movement in the sermon. You ready? Here's what, here's what Paul says. If he did all of that for you, if he does the heavy lifting, if Jesus goes to the cross for you, don't you believe in your heart that he is going to save you in the end? That he is not going to abandon you along the way? When I was a college student, I heard Reuben Welch, a preacher, say, after working through Paul's letter to the Romans, you have been saved. You are being saved. And in the end, you will be saved. Paul talks about the past work of Jesus in our hearts and lives, the present work of Jesus in our hearts and lives. And he does it again here. And he talks about the future work of Jesus in our hearts and lives. He uses three words. One is justify. It's a judicial term. Innocence has been declared. You have no penalty to pay. He uses another word, reconciled. It's a relational term. Relationship with God has been made right. Sins forgiven, relationship been made right. And then he uses a third term, and the term is saved. So when I think about being saved, I think I was saved when I was younger. But here Paul's talking about you're going to be saved on that judgment day that he talked about in chapter 2. Okay? You've been saved. You're being saved. And let me tell you, he's not going to abandon you in the end. You will be saved. Now, I think I know where your mind's going. I could be wrong, but this is where my mind went had some conversations with people. This is where their minds went. So he didn't say, you are saved and you will never, ever sin again. That's why we know you're going to be saved in the end. Good news, you're saved. Bad news, you are still walking around with flesh on. And as long as you're walking around with flesh on, you are subject to sin. Doesn't mean it's a way of life for you. And the Bible tells us sin does not have to have power over you and reign over you. But the bad news is that as long as you're in the flesh, you are subject to sin. That's why we talk so much about holiness. Come to this place in our lives where sin doesn't just dominate me and control me. But I'm always subject to sin as long as I'm alive. So let's, let's think a little bit together about this. How much more, if you did all of this for you, one day you're going to be saved in the end? Because here's what we think. Hey, Rick, um, so I've got a lot of my life to live. Some of you might be fairly young. And you say, I've been saved, but how do I know that I'm not going to really mess up somewhere down the road? How do I know that somewhere down the road I'm not going to like go off the deep end and just become a sinner? I mean, I've got a lot of life to live. And so how can Paul say, 
that I'm going to be saved in the end. So the answer is in the last verse where Paul says, We boast in God through Jesus. And he's going back to a conversation he's had all along the way up to chapter 5 where he's talking about the law doesn't save us. My good works, being really good. If I can be good enough, long enough, if I can try hard enough, if I can just give it a little more grit and, uh, and try, maybe, you know, I can do this good enough and finally when I get to the end, I will have done good enough. Now, we don't boast about that. That's not what saves you. You're saved because of what Jesus did in you and what Jesus is doing through you and what Jesus will continue to do through you and in you. So our confidence about being saved one day is not because I'm going to be able to somehow muster enough try that I can pull this thing off. You just watch me. I'll grip my teeth until I get it done. doesn't save you. My confidence is in even the fact if I do fail God and even if I do sin that he is going to come after me with everything he's got. He is going to make me aware of my sin. He is going to call me back to himself. He is never, ever, ever going to give up on me. No matter what I do, he will continue to pursue me and he will continue to convict me of sin by his Holy Spirit and he will continue to draw me back to him. He will never abandon me. I like that. Make you nervous? When we talk about kind of feeling this assure, assured sense of our salvation, shouldn't. And you know what I think he's trying to do? I think he's trying to say, relax. God's at work in you. He's talking to people who are saved. He's talking to Christians. Relax. God's working in you. He saved you. He's saving you. He'll save you. Take a breath. It's never been about what you could do anyway. It's all about Him. I love it. So why don't we, why don't we stand, okay? So when you preach... And some of you say, can't relate, never have. But when you do, you're always saying, how do you respond to this? And so here, here's what I feel the response is. And we got an awesome song. And so if you just sing the song, I think it's a great response. You, you mean you did this for me while I was still a sinner? You died. You came to earth for me and you did this for me. And you are still doing this for me and you're going to do this for me. You're telling me that, wow. Then you know what I'm going to do? I'm giving you my whole life. I'm yours, man. I mean, I am all in. You got me. I think that's the response and that's what the song is. And so, you know, always there's like time that you can come and pray. And this is one of those times... And, and I feel like if we're going to do that, then probably everybody in the room should, like, come down here and pray. I mean, I think that's the only great response to this passage of Scripture.
But I realize everybody's not going to come down and pray. But it may be that you think you should. And maybe you've said it before. You got me, 100% of me. I'm all in. And you want to say it again. Or you want to renew that. Or maybe you've never said it. And today you want to say it. And so we're all going to be together here saying it in this song. But if you want to come down and pray, you just kind of feel like that's what I need to do today. Then I would say don't let anything stop you from doing that. Otherwise, just be right where you are. And let's just sing this with everything in us.
So as we go from this place, would you receive this benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.